Hello and welcome to this week's Politically Speaking podcast. I'm your host, as always, Chris McDaniel, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today... A very distracted Jason Rosenbaum. (laughs) I'm playing with my phone right now. Well, it's Friday. And... Joe Manis with the St. Louis Beacon. Frazzled because I want to make sure that I make Tim Jones's... Stop in Eureka on part of his tour. Home of Six Flags. <laughs> Home of Six Flags. So, uh, Speaker Jones, if you're listening to this, uh, this is why Joe is late. <laughs> He'll hear this afterwards. <laughs> well, starting off, I just I just want to thank everybody who came out last week. We had a, a pretty good turnout, and I know that uh, that was pretty special. So, thanks for everyone who turned out. But let's get right to it because we all it's Friday at four thirty. So. Let's let's get right down to the first thing on our list, which is that Nixon released a statement earlier this week saying that the income tax cuts actually and accidentally caused a sales tax increase for prescription drugs. Let me read. Um, let me read a statement that he put here. The out-of-pocket costs of prescription drugs, especially for those suffering from cancer, heart diseases, or other life-threatening conditions, already puts a strain on many Missouri families. That's why it's so troubling that House Bill 253 would repeal Missouri's longstanding sales tax exemption for prescription drugs. If enacted, this provision would impose a $200 million sales tax hike on Missourians and increase the cost of medications they need. This is a tax increase that Missourians cannot afford and don't deserve. And Jason, I think you and I both did stories, and I think we both talked to Senator Krause. And Joe helped out as well. But... You know, we we both know that Nixon was probably going to veto this anyways. He was looking for an excuse. No, right. this was like the third – before this statement came out, he had made at least three public statements where either Joe or I were in the room where he said he had problems with it because it would sap away money from the state budget. But this is really significant, not only because what he pointed out is is actually true. If you read the language, it does – bracket out the exception for mm-hmm. prescription drugs. And for those at home who don't understand legislative ease, when you bracket something out in legislation, you are essentially taking it out of the law. Yep. And for whatever reason, I guess we'll get to that in a second, in this bill, it, it, it does take out prescription drugs. And I don't think there's any dispute about that. But I, I think beyond just pointing out a mistake, this really takes the wind out of the sails of any chance of overriding this bill. Because now, if it's vetoed, if it's vetoed, which is, we which said now last, it looks almost. We, we, we said yeah. last week it was like a hundred percent. Now it's like a thousand percent. But now everybody who was kind of on the fence about that bill are like the three. I think there were three or four Republicans that voted against it in the House, and there were three Democrats who voted for it: Ed Schieffer of Troy, Jeff Rorta of Jefferson County, and Steve Hodges of East Prairie. I don't see how they can possibly vote to override this bill now. Well, it gives that. them an out. It gives them an out. Rorda, who was running for state senate in Jefferson County, for example. And Ed yeah. Schieffer's also running for state senate, and Hodges is running for Congress. Right, and and uh, Rorda is running to succeed McKenna. Bill, Bill McKenna, fellow Democrat. Ryan McKenna. Ryan, Ryan McKenna. So- Sorry, Bill McKenna had it a long time before, before you were alive. <laughs> but that said, uh, the— point being that Rorda had been casting some fairly conservative votes on various issues during the last few weeks of the session, and there had been some speculation if he was doing so, because since Jefferson County is such swing territory, um, that this is the type of thing that all of a sudden the Democrat, any Democrat running for office in Missouri doesn't need an excuse, because this would increase 
hike the sales tax for everybody who ever gets a prescription drug. This prescription drug benefit goes back to the uh, exemption goes back to the 1990s when uh, the the uh, legislature passed these exemptions in part because it the says state right was there that it was 1979. Oh, oh, this one was 79. Okay, yeah. okay. Well, they added groceries and yeah, that's what you were here. talking about. <laughs> but the point being that yeah, they, they've they've had this from the get go then. And um, it, it does make it a lot easier for the governor, who already had object, uh, objections because he contended that it, it was to cut corporate taxes in half over a five-year period. And he had said they didn't need that big of a tax cut since they already had some other tax cuts. And the state needs the money to provide the educations and stuff that he said are needed to attract businesses. Well, he doesn't need to get into all that now. All he has to do is say, well, look, this would raise taxes on every Missourian who ever gets a prescription drug. Right. Yeah. And, and this, is, this is very similar to last year when the governor was doing his bill review or had vetoed a bill on, on the vehicle tax. Yes. And he pointed out kind of very close to the override session that if you override this bill, the language would make that tax retroactive. And that kind of killed the momentum of this bill. So, you know, we give the governor a lot of flack for on, on this podcast for various things, like the fact that he's really tall and scary looking and whatnot. <laughs> but I do have to say he is very good at pointing out, you know, problems with bills that kind of scare legislators from overriding or, or even attempting to override. And I really think that even though Will Krause told pretty much every media outlet that this doesn't go into effect right away and I guess could be – changed in 2014, I really see this as a very critical blow to this being overridden because of what we just said with the Democratic support. It changes the dynamic for the veto session. Exactly, because the the governor, who already has been tangling with Republican legislative leaders over other issues, notably the whole stuff with the scanning of the permits and changing of the driver's licenses, so it's not like there's any love lost. So he's going to look at this and say, you're telling me you're going to fix this next year when you didn't do some other stuff I wanted. I'm not going to do this. I mean, I think this uh, – he's just going to veto it knowing that it won't be overridden now and they're going to have to try to come back next year. Of course, it will be an election year. Um, it will be you know, a whole different dynamics in the in the General Assembly. But, yeah, they're going to have to come back. This is like dead – in the water. But two, two, two kind of postscripts to this. One is those those three Democrats who, I guess, voted for it. I mean, it was kind of an example of them trying to, you know, co-opt Republicans on an issue. And it seems to have kind of, I don't want to say it backfired on them because I don't know if they're going to be attacked for that because their no. Republican opponents probably voted for it the same. But I, I will just say that the one Republican that voted against in the Senate was David Pierce of Warrensburg, who I've bandied about as a statewide contender for treasurer or some other office. And someone like him is probably feeling really good about his decision right now. I don't know if this was the reason he voted against it. It probably wasn't. But, you know, people who voted against it now can have cover if somebody attacks them for not well, voting for this, this right. tax cut. And that's what I was saying about, about Rorta. He now has cover saying, hey, look, when I voted for this, I had no idea. Yeah. Of course I'm not going to vote to raise uh, prescription drugs taxes on seniors, the most reliable voting block in the state. The other thing, though, is as I kind of mentioned on the outset, Krauss, when, when, when in his statement and when I was talking with him, noted that this was language that the Department of Revenue had 
used for the so-called streamlined sales tax, which has to do with kind of getting retailers to voluntarily contribute to internet sales tax right. or something like that. That's right. generally what it is. And he said that it was, you know, an oversight on their part, and that's why it happened. Well, Chris Kelly, a Democrat from Columbia, called me today and was kind of taken aback by that argument. It was basically like what he said, what Krauss and others are trying to say, because it's not just Krauss, it's other people as well. Is like, well, this is like saying Nixon's dog ate my homework, and really the people who should have been shepherding this bill should have paid more close attention to this type of detail. And really, if it's your bill and you're taking credit for it, you have to take credit for the mistakes. That's kind of his argumentation. Um, and also, it should be noted that a Department of Revenue spokeswoman said that, you know, they gave them language that would have preserved this. So it's kind of a he said, she said on that front. Uh, but I don't know. We weren't there, right. so we don't know what exactly, exactly. happened. Exactly. And, and frankly, I mean, DNR, I mean, the, the Nixon administration has not been a fan of this um, uh package of tax cuts uh, all session. So legislators didn't really, like, weren't really trusting them with stuff. So for the legislators now to say, well, DNR gave us this, well... D-O-R. D-O-R gave us this. Well, that's doesn't necessarily... um, You wouldn't have been listening to them on other stuff. So why would you be claiming this, especially when D-O-R is saying, no, that isn't the language we gave them they it, it sounds like that they got something off the website thought they got the right stuff and didn't i mean mistakes happen we all make these mistakes. yeah i mean i'm sure especially in a huge bill like this that's about 300 pages yeah i mean i've made mistakes and stories and had to go back and correct them but i'm a reporter this is legislation this is stuff that's going in the state statute so stuff like this has to be has to be checked and this affects the bottom line because what the proponents of this tax package were claiming that it would only cost the state a couple hundred million a year. Now, opponents said, no, it's going to be more like $800 million a year. Well, if you take out the $200 million in additional taxes that this represented, this makes the uh, – it, it hurts the opponent's case because it means that there would be – I mean, in other words – the two hundred million that the opponents were saying it might bring in an additional was basically in effect from this, right? You know, because the corporate tax once tax cut once it was fully implemented was going to be about I think close I think, to like, four hundred million a year. I don't know if it's that much, but I, that would, might be the personal when you put into yeah. the the one the half percent, and then if the internet sales tax goes into effect, it's cut by another half of a percent, and then. The money from the internet sales tax, from what Linda Lubering said, at most might bring in another two hundred million dollars. So it might be four hundred, four hundred and fifty that that costs for the personal side. The corporate and the business tax also cost Breaks. a lot of money. So it's a lot of money. It's a big tax cut. Proponents say that it's aimed at bringing more jobs and attracting businesses and giving tax relief to people. And you know that's the argument that they've been making. But this is a real blow. Yeah, to that, because them able to to get this overridden, I would say. Exactly, because these are average. I mean, this affects average people. It affects everybody who ever gets a prescription drug. Now, this doesn't this mean, though, that, that there – is there any other bill that had the Internet sales tax in it? I don't know offhand. Okay, because, I mean, this could mean – because I had heard that there was two or three bills that had it in there to, to put in the Internet sales. If there isn't, you know, that's gone too. I don't yeah. know. 
Well, let's move along to the 8th Congressional District. We haven't talked about it too much on this podcast. <laughs> no, that's actually the, yeah, yeah. We haven't talked about it as much as, you know, Todd Akin's comeback or, <laughs> or this tax cut or vetoes or Well, well part of the reason is it hasn't been too contentious in, in terms. It's been low-key uh, It's been pretty low-key. Uh, in terms of fundraising, it's also been pretty lopsided. Um, the last time I checked was last Friday, and... Republican Jason Smith had about $505,000 that he had raised. And then the Democratic opponent, Steve Hodges, had raised about $228,000. That was as of last week. But the key, though, is how much they still had left in the bank. And the disparity is not that high between the two on what they had left in the bank going into the final couple weeks. The disparity um, was $228,000. From Jason Smith to 142. But really, I mean, so it's so much that, closer. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's much closer when you're get, and that's key because what spending, campaign spending, it's called the burn rate. Yeah. And when you raise a lot of money, uh, smart candidates make sure they don't burn too much early because then you end up with this thing where you're two or three weeks out, and there isn't that big of a difference, a gap between you and your opponent, even though you raise so much more because you had a huge. Burn rate. I've seen mm-hmm. that go back 20 or 30 years. But it, it should be noted that, and I'm sure we'll get to this in a minute, but the DCCC isn't involved in this race. The um, Republican counterpart isn't involved in this yeah, race. Yeah, is not. Yeah, in both cases they and are not. Not to, you know, give the last rights to Hodges early, but that's usually not a good sign that it's going to be terribly competitive. <laughs> and I think that's a – I mean that the gap here still is – Smith has raised more money, and I, I don't know if either one of them have really spent enough money to really do that much in a pretty short amount of time. Do you disagree well, on that? Well, I disagree a little bit. Now, I'm not saying that—I mean, I, I think there's no question Smith has the edge because it's generally a Republican-leaning district. Yeah. And we'll be talking about this next week when we see the vote totals. That said, two things. Um, both of them have ads up in the district, attack ads— Smith's is going after Hodges, saying he's too close to Pelosi and Obama and has their pictures. Hodges, however, has what some have told me is a pretty killer ad because he's contending that Smith is aligned with the Paul Ryan faction of the Republican Party and is out to cut people's Social Security is and that, Medicare. Is there any citing in that ad? It doesn't seem to really cite anything. I know, I know, but I'm talking <laughs> about strategy. I'm not talking about— I yeah. just noticed that. It just seemed to be—I mean, both ads are basically the same. It's basically saying Hodges is a Democrat, therefore he's right. Obama— and Smith is a Republican, Republican therefore, therefore he's Ryan. I, I find that very milquetoast but, not that interesting, but, to be honest, but, but continue. But Hodges' ad then features people talking about their concern they're going to have their Social Security and Medicare cut. Now, the reason that can be, depending on how much, how much money he's got behind it to air it, is that about half of the 8th District, the population is over the age of 50. Mm-hmm. So they've got a... So that potentially, I'm not saying it's enough to win or anything. I'm just saying it's yeah, enough to, right. li- to get people to pay attention. And then on top of that, at their last um, debate, which was Tuesday, it was a forum in southeast Missouri, um, Smith made uh, a mistake by saying early on, talking about farming and how important it is, and saying that Missouri raises everything but citrus and rice. 
while Missouri happens to be the number five producer in the country of yeah. rice. Hodges jumped on that, claimed that that showed that Smith was inexperienced. Now, Smith's people say that's baloney, and they point out that Hodges once inadvertently said the election was in August instead mm. of June. But that said, they're hammering at that to kind of say that this shows that Smith, who's a lot younger, is less experienced. Whether or not any, any of that plays... Who knows? The key thing is going to be an extremely low turnout election. Yes. Yeah. And it's going to be which side has the energized people to get out to vote. Now, now I will say this. I mean, I just finished up my notes column. And I, I, even though I just made a couple of critical comments about Hodges, I wouldn't completely count him out just because in the past he's been the underdog and outspent and has done well. For example, this last cycle he ran against America's Got Talent winner Neil Boyd in a race that was expected to be competitive, and he blew him out of the water, essentially. So I think Hodges is actually a relatively good candidate for this race. And I do think that if it's closer than expected, I mean, all the national prognosticators say that this is safe for the GOP, and they're barely paying attention to it as much as that zany South Carolina race (laughs) with Mark Sanford. But I mean, if Smith puts in kind of a weak showing, I think it could, and he still wins, I think it could give some second thoughts to some of the other contenders that were in that scrum, like Peter Kinder, possibly Jason Crawl. I put in, you know, Todd Richardson just for fun. Those people may be thinking, well, if Smith is, you know, granted it's a low turnout election, the dynamics are different, maybe that would consider them to take another shot at that in the primary. I'm not saying that's going to happen, and I'm not saying that even if he puts in a you know, less than stellar performance, it leads to a big primary because he could then consolidate all of his support and raise a lot of money right. and kind of inoculate himself in the interim. But I do think that people will pay attention to the results. And if Smith does really, really well and wins with 60 or 70 percent of the votes, it's probably a good sign for his political future. If it's like 54, 46, or it won't be that amount because there are other candidates in that race. Yes, we should probably mention there is Libertarian Bill Slants and Constitution Party candidate Doug Ingert. And a couple of independent. I mean, but they yeah. have to be written in, so we don't have yeah, to. Yeah, we don't, we don't have to dwell on them too much. But my point is, like, if Hodges does a lot better than people expected in a race where the DCCC did nothing and there was no expectations here, I'm, I'm not sure if that's a good sign for, for Smith's prospects in 2014. So we'll just have to kind of see what happens. If he does really well, I think that's a good sign for his prospects. I mean, I think, though, for, for, for the Democratic side, I could be wrong that um, even if Hodges is close, because the district generally is considered Republican-leaning, and 2014 you're going to have a bigger turnout, and there's only one statewide contest on the ballot, I th- I'm not sure if this will induce any other stronger Democrats Take a look at it in 2014. I will say, if he wins, possibility he will be the most vulnerable Democrat in the country, and I among think, them for sure. And and I think it will be a huge Republican primary to try and defeat him. Yeah, and, I think then that will entice Lieutenant Governor Peter Kinder, who everybody believes is strongly rumored to be looking at whether or not to look at this. Because frankly, Smith was picked because party leaders in the district on both sides. Pick the candidates. They didn't go through a regular. And he primary. has a lot of good intangibles behind Correct. him too. I mean, absolutely. He's he's gone on. He's 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 risen in leadership really fast. He's passed a lot of bills. He's a considered a, to be a a, a, re, a reasonably smart legislator. Right. So I mean, I think we're 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 kind of like raising up his prospects and lowering his prospects just for prognosticating purposes here. 
So he has a lot going for him, but I do think people are going to pay attention to the results, as we kind of mentioned. Exactly. I think you're absolutely right. And so uh, Jason's going to have a nice piece on the day before, running up some of the stuff for people to watch. But it is eighth district is is will be fascinating, and even for the St. Louis area because the district Jeffco, takes. That's one of the things correct, to watch for Jefferson County. I and just as this poster before we go to our last segment, I think. You should watch how Jeffco does because Jeffco is going to be the center of the political universe next year with that Senate race, with yes. this House race, with the county executive race. And people like Smith are going to need to do well there and build an organization to help those candidates out. Exactly. And it was interesting that Hodges was there running around on Thursday mm-hmm. and Smith is starting a bus tour on Saturday and he's going to be passing through there. I think both of them are. Jefferson County will not be providing the largest block of votes, but it's... Cape Girardeau County does, but it still will be key. And a Democrat needs a strong Democratic turnout there, and a Republican needs to keep that down. Well, we like to close out our show with a topic that's (laughs) closer to home. So, Joe, very quickly, because we're running out of time here, but you had a story going up this week about how it looks like Senator John Lamping, if he chooses to run again, will have some competition. Yes, 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 yes. State Rep. Uh, Ms. Shoup? Jill Shoup. Jill Shoup. Jill Shoup of Creve Corps um, announced to supporters, sending out some uh, letters this week saying that her she's, she's going to have a rollout in on in a couple weeks. And uh, she's going to be she's asking for money and that she's definitely running. She's been rumored to be running, but she has never said. But the fact that she's sending out this missive makes it clear. But even more noteworthy to some of us, aside from her potential chances in 2014 against State Senator uh, John Lamping, who has not yet said whether or not he's going to run for re-election. He's a Republican from Ladue. The other part is, who is she going to be accompanying? Um, Most of these fundraisers have like a star who shows up to kind of attract people. But Attorney General Chris Coster... The former Republican who's now running for uh, governor in 2016 and who seems to be everywhere, yes. everywhere. This yeah. kind of this corresponds with kind of the, the good buzz he's been getting that he's been helping out a lot of Democrats, as you kind of alluded to in the story. And that's why even some former like adversaries are happy with them, because he has actually put in the effort to help these types of candidates. And this is another example of that. Yeah, because his appearance not only will bring in more potential more donors or at least more people to her event. It also could tamp down um, any other Democrats who might be thinking about challenging Shoup for the nomination. Yeah. So he may be trying to coalesce support behind her early. Now, the 24th district, which is where she uh, would be running, is not as Democratic as it used to be after redistricting in 2011. It's still Democratic, but not as much. Uh, And Republicans were able to basically make it much more of a swing district. But Lamping, who has made a number of conservative uh, votes and positions in the last session, there's been a lot of speculation about whether or not he now is appearing to be too conservative for the district. Now, I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying there's talk about it. And I'll just I'll just kind of do this quick analysis before we leave. If Lamping decides to run again, I think it'll be a challenging race. His first race was challenging, but I mean, I think he will probably run a very strong campaign, and right. I think he'll be a tough competitor, not an unbeatable competitor. 
If he decides not to run again, I think there's a long list of people that could possibly run for that seat. Um, John I mean, Deal is in that district. Right. Um, I, I don't know if Sue Allen is in that district, but she might be. Yeah, but Deal's up to be speaker. Yeah, that, speaker. That's, that's probably an unlikely prospect. I've yeah. just hypothetically thrown out uh, Colleen Wassinger's name because she is also in County that District. County Councilwoman, yes, Republican. Um, but, you know, that's hypothetical, and it's very possible Lamping might run for re-election. And if he does, even though he's made some, some, you know, you know, He's 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 done some things that may have rankled some people. The I RCGA is mad at him. <laughs> I think he'll I think he'll still be a strong candidate just because you know he won in a much more democratic district in 2010, and it'll be an interesting race. I think it'll be one of the few competitive state senate races, regardless of what happens. Yeah, and it's going to be yeah. and and Shoup, uh, A lot of people don't know her that well, so it'll be interesting to see what sort of campaign operation she assembles within the next few months. Well, that's just about do it. You can read all of my stories at stlpublicradio.org. You can read all of Joe and Jason's stories at stlbeacon.org. You can follow me on Twitter at, at @csmcdaniel. You can follow Jason on Twitter, Jay Rosenbaum, and you can follow Joe on Twitter at Jay Manis. It's J M A N N I E S. Well, we've got to get out of here, but we'll be back next week. Until then, so long. So long. See ya. <laughs>